I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. Despite a to-die-for cast and a seemingly can't-miss premise, Don't Look Up is a failure on too many levels. And although the viewing numbers may satisfy Netflix, it's a shock to see such a high-profile film self-destruct. That's James Berardelli of Real Views, his thoughts on Don't Look Up. Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year. We have got so many movies to talk about. I mean, as I've said before, this is the time where movies are just coming out left and right. You can't keep up with all these movies. Don't Look Up, which a lot of you have seen on Netflix. Licorice Pizza from one of my favorite filmmakers, Paul Thomas Anderson. Sing 2, of course, I had to take the kids to go see when I was back home in Toronto. Nightmare Alley, new film noir from the Academy Award winning Guillermo del Toro, starring Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett. And last night squeezed in for date night, West Side Story. Five new movies, all right? We're going to get to all that in a second. The Wild Card, my old buddy Rick Passmore, ESPN friend. That's right, cinephile alumni. He's here to talk about puppets and horror movies. <laughs> you heard that correctly. And our old, well... Betty White, Chris, she was kind of old. We're going to pay tribute to Betty White, gone at the age of 99. But first and foremost, Happy New Year to my friend Chris Cody. It is great to see you again. You texted me when I was in Toronto. You were suffering from a terrible illness. Please disclose to everyone, breaking news, yeah. what you were battling over the holidays. Can people guess? I don't think people are going to have any clue. I got sick <laughs> over the holiday break. Guess what? It was the vid. I got Food poisoning. It. Omicron got me. Is it Omicron, Omicron, whatever it is. Uh, Omicron, yeah. I'm it, like a friend of mine keeps saying Omicron. I go, that's not like a transformer. It's Omicron. Yeah. But go ahead. It got me. I uh, I had only, I had mild symptoms. I was boosted up. Uh, I actually got the booster earlier in the week, so I started feeling symptoms, <sighs> and I was thinking, oh, this is just the booster, but it's everywhere yeah. right now, so let me get a test, and of course, I was positive. Uh, but I got very lucky as far as sicknesses. I was feeling achy and just weak for like two days, and then I was over it, but it... It put a damper on my holidays. I didn't get to, you know, see my parents until like we did Christmas this past Saturday as opposed to on Christmas. But it's just everywhere right now. I literally don't know. I can't think of a friend who doesn't have some connection over the last few. Everyone's had it over the last few weeks. At least you know somebody that did. I know at some point when coronavirus had first began in the summer of 2020, working with Dan Plesak at MLB Network, he's like, do you know anybody who has it? I go, no, because right. I don't know anybody either. Because apparently it's different. I don't know one person. And then it was like my buddy Adam Amin from Fox Sports got it. You know, my brother-in-law got it. Max yeah. Bredos got it. I go, okay, a lot of people are getting it. And you're right with Omicron. Oh. I, I watched the news and crazy. I checked the positivity rates in Jersey and it's like normally 6%. New York's like 4%. Connecticut's like 3 I turned on the news yesterday, and this is why people don't believe the media, because they go, this is too much. 32% yeah. positive rate in Jersey. I go, holy shit. Like, everybody has it. How do I not have it? I this believe is amazing. It. It's, luckily, this this uh, variant appears to be a little less deadly, so that's a good thing. Yes. And it, But, uh, yeah, man, it's no joke. And it was uh, it was definitely put a damper on the holidays. But the good news is this. You go, I'm going to have a lot of time on my hands. I go, great. Let's get in front of this. I, I go, bro, you. I got five movies I for you to watch. You. I was like, what are we doing next yeah. week? I got, I got I go, time. Give it to me. But then, we, you know what happened? My yeah. wife and my daughter also got it. So then I, the, all the relaxed, I was thinking uh, my wife would be back at work, even though with me having it, she couldn't leave the house. Whatever. I was thinking that this was going to, like, I've heard, I've heard all these people. Oh, I got COVID. Wasn't that terrible? And I, I got to watch this, this, and this. It's like, I, everyone's yeah. been watching things during COVID. So I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. Didn't happen. My daughter who got COVID, but no symptoms. So she was just full of energy. I had no time. It turned into a stressful week. It was, there was zero relaxation. It was the opposite. I didn't watch anything. Well, I'm glad you're coming prepared here on Cinefile. We had two weeks of work. off. <laughs> 
my man is ready to go. Back and Don't better worry. than ever. But this is kind of something when you're at your best. When I feel like when you're ill-prepared, it's not like writing a test. Like, Cody's better when he's procrastinating and just, just going full throttle. Like, it's just your ad-libbing skills, and we just roll Let's with be it. real. You're just going to ask weird stuff, because you haven't seen the movie. You're just going to ask weird stuff, let's right? Be we- let's be real here. When I do watch these movies, I come on here and say, I liked it. <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, no one's tuning into this right now to hear what I thought of Don't Look Up. You're the man, Adnan. I appreciate that, Coy. Let's kick it off, though, by talking about Don't Look Up. And I'm glad you're okay, and I hope that uh, your daughter and your wife are okay, too, because you're right, there's Omicron stuff's everywhere. All right, Don't Look Up. This is the film which everyone's seeing, okay, it, it might as well have set records. I have not checked the latest numbers, but everybody's saying, oh, it's on Netflix? No problem. Oh, it's got a thousand movie stars? Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett, Jonah Hill, Tyler Perry... Ariana Grande, Kid Cudi, Timothee Chalamet. It's insane. Mark Rylance, Academy Award winner. It's just insane how many stars in this movie. So what is it all about? Two low-level astronomers must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. It is written and directed by Adam McKay, who is a friend of ours here, of course, at Metal Arc. He obviously does uh, a fantastic job and um, obviously is a guy who believes in Metal Arc, and that's why he's going to be involved with our family. But i got to be honest. As much as I like Adam McKay, I really appreciate his work. Listen, I thought Vice was a hysterical film. He does these movies, which are very satirical. He takes serious subjects and then does it in a very fun way. Sometimes very complicated stories. The Big Short, for example. Financial Crisis, he does it in a very smart, innovative way. But i got to be honest, in the case of Don't Look Up, I was disappointed. And I thought it had an intriguing premise. I mean, the story is fantastic, right? Hey, it's really an allegory for what's happening with COVID. People don't believe it. They won't want to believe science. They got their head in the sand, et cetera. Okay, we'll make this as a metaphor with this comet coming towards us. There's science believing it, but other people are like, no, it's not true. You know, F the police, that kind of thing. So I like the idea. I like the concept. I like all the stars involved. These are all excellent actors. So why is it while watching the film it didn't work? And honestly, it comes down to the fact the film was just too didactic. You know, when you're watching a what film... What does didactic you want, mean? Well, it means that it's just, it, it's hitting you over the head too much with its message. You know what I mean? Like when you're watching a film, you want to be entertained by it. And if it has a message, you, you will appreciate the message. But if it's too heavy handed, I don't think it goes down well. I want to, I think what you're saying is I want to feel the message without thinking this person that made the movie is shoving it down my throat. Like I want, I want to be able to kind of make the decision for myself. I don't want to be able to tell the narrative like that they're going for kind of thing. That's well expressed. The exact Dictionary explanation would be intended to teach, particularly in having moral instruction as an ulterior motive. Right? So Adam McKay is trying to say, hey, listen, man, you guys are morons for not taking COVID more seriously. Trust science. I'm going to make a two-hour movie about this. I'm like, hey, that's great. But can you make like an entertaining movie and a fun film? Because like, otherwise, it just feels like it's too ridiculous. And at times, I appreciate the satire, but it's just so over the top. It just feels a little much. Having said that, reasons to, of course, watch the film. Listen, the cast is excellent. Nerd DiCaprio, he's mixing things up a little bit. He's playing the nerdy scientist who enjoys the fact that he's actually uh, now being viewed as America's sexiest scientist. He goes on a morning show with Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett excuse me. She's always fantastic. Heavy eyeliner. Kind of like maybe got a Megan Kelly thing going on, the bleach blonde hair. She falls in love with Leo. Leo's in love with her. I'm like, oh my God, here's this dorky, nerdy guy getting it on. Jennifer Lawrence, she's got a couple of nose rings. She's got pink hair. She's kind of his accomplice and friend and supporter. So she's trying something different. Although I didn't find her character was as meaty as Leo's character or Kate Blanchett. Meryl Streep is having a blast. No surprise, a three-time Academy Award winner, 21-time nominee. She's playing the president, very Trump-like, who just cares about herself, very narcissistic. Don't trust signs. Believe me, I'm the one in charge. 
she is having a hoot, as they would say. So uh, if you're a fan of Meryl Streep, Leonardo DiCaprio, any of these stars, I get where you're going to watch it. Chalamet's small role. Uh, he's playing this stoner who falls in love with Jennifer Lawrence. Ariana Grande, actually pretty funny. She has a couple of songs talking about you know nuclear warfare and believing the combat, which are kind of fun. But honestly, when a satire is done well, in the case of a great film like Network, which clearly they pay homage to one scene where Leonardo DiCaprio is literally losing his mind on set. You know, that's his Peter Finch moment. Wag the Dog is a great satire, which I love from 1997. Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman. That's about going to war and, you know, distracting the American public. When a satire is done well, it's, it's seamless. But unfortunately, in this case, I just found it heavy-handed and overdone. I'm going to only have to give it to me beliefs. Now, I didn't see it, but I loved it because I have a goal and a hope <laughs> that one day Adam McKay, with all this metal arc relationship thing, will put me in a film and I will blossom and I will take off as an actor. I got some comedic chops. I think I could do this yeah. with the right role. I'm still holding out hope for that. So I loved the movie. I thought it was great. I just I, thought you are very right, right to distance. Yeah, you are right to distance yourself from my review. Like this is not a Chris Cody endorsed opinion because when I go to Adam McKay a year from now and go, hey, I'd like to get in your films. I go, oh yeah. Well, I still have the review, actually. Let me queue it up right now. I have it saved on my phone. Didactic. You're the didactic guy, right? Oh, Mr. Didactic. I'm never going to put you on a movie. Is, it, is that didactic enough for you? I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, Mr. McKay. I, I I'll thought take about, my likes. I thought about trying to get Adam McKay on for this. I'm glad that I didn't in, in hindsight. Yeah, because either I would have had to sell my soul down. and been dishonest. Yeah, I would have chicken out. I'm like, oh, what a great film. I'm like, oh, Burke's, Burke's, Burke has no integrity. He's a complete loser. Uh, I'm like, oh. Or I would have been honest, which would have been even worse. If I'm like, listen, I love your work, but I thought it was disappointing. He'd say, why the hell am I here? Are you serious? He'd call Levitar. We'd all get in trouble. Skipper would have called me. Uh, I got to tell you, you cannot be offending the people that we work with. I, I, that is the first review. Don't look up. I'm giving it two Maple Leafs. Moving on. Let's go quick on Sing 2, because Cody hasn't seen any of these. It's an ingenious concept. It's basically just a collage of pop music. That's all this thing is. The first one and the second one. Let's put like 30 top 40 hits and we'll play them every 30 seconds so kids will get really excited. They go, I've heard that song on the radio. I've heard that song on the radio. I love this song. And then we have colorful animals because kids love animals. So of course, you know my son Shaz, all about the gorillas. The best scene in the movie is when Johnny the gorilla just starts singing in a restaurant. It's amazing. Like We have a gorilla singing. We love gorillas and music is cool. So I don't think it's a particularly good movie. I mean, it's two and a half Maple Leafs I'll give it. It's satisfying enough for the kids. But as far as sequels go, it does not improve upon the original. It simply repeats the same process. Okay, Bono's in the way. Cool. Hey, Bono's in an animated film. Who doesn't love you too? Bono might get nominated for an Oscar. Might even win an Oscar. Okay, cool. But is it a great film? Of course not. It's Sing 2. It's recycled, rehashed. It makes me think of the Forrest Gump soundtrack, which as you know, I hate the film. But the soundtrack's great because they just take all these great hits. It's like getting the number one song from 1955 to 1975. How could you not make it a great soundtrack? And that's what Sing 2 is doing. Let's get great music, a bunch of colorful animals, a bunch of famous people. Like I love Bobby Cannavale. He's great. Cannavale plays the wolf. I'm going to watch Bobby Kind of Valley and anything. So sing to perhaps I'm going to watch with your daughter, Chris, when it comes to streaming or home I video. I can at some see point. Bobby Kind of Valley as a wolf. That, 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 like I, I'm, I'm hearing his voice and I'm just like, yeah. that's good casting. Right. That's always the key, right? These voice actors. They go, okay, we've got Michael Keaton. As I've said before, who doesn't love Michael Keaton? But then how do we picture him? Is he, is he a wolf? Is he a walrus? Is he a fox? Like, remember, uh, Jason Bateman was great as a fox. Yeah, he like, was. Like, you can just see certain characters, like, very sly. Zootopia. Right? Yeah, you want to talk about a good animated film that, like, as an adult, I sat there with my daughter, and I'm more, like, she's running away, getting distracted, and I'm just, like, still, I'm yeah. into this movie. I'm watching it. I loved it. Zootopia is fantastic. It's better than Sing 2. Let's keep this thing rolling. Licorice Pizza. So Paul Thomas Anderson is one of my favorite filmmakers. When you look at his movies, I mean, literally across the board, I've seen every single one of his movies, and most of them I love. Heart 8. 
Boogie Nights, Magnolia, There Will Be Blood, um, The Master, A Phantom Thread, Daniel Day-Lewis's final film role, even the ones which I think have not been successful. Inherent Vice, I did not care for at all. I thought it was a bad movie. But I can still see elements of why he made it or what made it interesting. Punch Drunk Love, which is a film I didn't love, but I liked it because it's Paul Thomas Anderson, one of the few Adam Sandler movies I really enjoyed. Again, Philip Seymour Hoffman was amazing in it. You can still see what is good about it. So Licorice Pizza comes out. P.T. Anderson has not made a film in four years. Phantom Thread, the aforementioned, 2017. Movie comes out Christmas Day. It's only exclusive in New York and Los Angeles in December. Cannot wait for it. You know, I'm with my wife in Toronto. We get to see one movie a year. My parents will look after the kids. I'm like, all right, Licorice Pizza, let's go. I'm so fired up. We had some poutine. And away it starts. And I go, the problem with Licorice Pizza is this. If it's anyone else's name... This wouldn't be receiving the hype that it is. If it wasn't acclaimed eight-time Academy Award nominee Paul Thomas Anderson, if it was noted nobody Steve Anderson, I don't think the film would be getting the rave reviews it does. Because what exactly is this movie about? It's literally a story about love set in 1973 San Fernando Valley, which is to say, oh, it's a nice story, but ultimately, what the hell happens? And the knock against it, and this happens with great filmmakers, Chris. Tarantino did the same thing, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is it a good movie? Yeah. Is it a great movie? No. It's too long. It's too self-indulgent. But when these guys have so much cachet and so much power, hey, if I want to make a three-hour movie about my life, I can do that too. Here's a synopsis. The story of Alana Kane, Alana Kane, excuse me, and Gary Valentine growing up, running around and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley, 1973. So Paul Thomas Anderson, the filmmaker, grew up in San Fernando Valley. That's where he set Boogie Nights. I'll make a movie about love set at that time. And the first 30 minutes or so is kind of sweet. You know, it's this whole... uh May versus September romance, and you know she's older than him. She's 25 years old. She's from the pop group Haim. Are you familiar with this pop group, by the way, or no? Yeah, I didn't think you would be. I wasn't either. Uh, he is Cooper Hoffman, the son of the great Philip Seymour Hoffman, who appeared in six of Paul Thomas Anderson's nine films overall. Of course, passed away because of heroin overdose, so he has not been in Phantom Thread, or this film was not in Inherent Vice either. Anyways, Cooper Hoffman, continuing the trend we saw this year with Michael Gandolfini, James's son who appeared in The Many Saints of Newark. You're watching the film going, wow, kid kind of looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Kind of cool. Is he a great actor, though? Like, I think the jury's still out. I thought his performance was charming enough. He's based on a guy named Gary Goatsman, who's a friend of Paul Thomas Anderson's. And as a kid, he was this enterprising character, which is to say... He was always had a, a scheme. You know, he was a child actor, and then he was doing other things, just kind of a get-rich schemes. Gary Goatsman, by the way, is now Tom Hanks' producing partner. So this guy clearly did well for his life and what he's done. Goatsman. So Gary Goatsman, yeah. G-O-E-T-Z-M-A-N-N. So P.T. Anderson goes, okay, I'm making a movie about my buddy Gary, who's now tight with Hanks. But it's about love and starting up love, and he's 15 in the movie, and she's 25, and it's about straining for what you want. And that's fine, but as a film? Two plus hours of this love story, I found it aimless. I found it lazy. I found it self-indulgent. And what really bothered me was the stars that showed up actually took away from the movie. Our friend Claire Atkins, of course, cinephile alumni, she texted me and goes, didn't you find the movies? They took away from it. Bradley Cooper shows up for 15 minutes in the movie. He's playing John Peters, who is Barbara Streisand's partner at the time. And he literally, the first thing he's telling the kid how to pronounce Barbara Streisand's name, he's like, Streisand, 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 okay. He's like coked out and shows it for 15 minutes and you go, this is distracting from the movie because I'm watching Bradley Cooper with a terrible haircut and a hairy chest just be coked out. What is the point of this? Sean Penn is a two-time Academy Award winner. He's a great actor, philanthropist, still smokes, which is crazy to me. Anyways, he shows up at one point hitting on Alana Haim's character playing Jack Holden. But what is the point of seeing Sean Penn playing this horny old perv? Like, is it just to prove that these guys can't be trusted? Is it to prove that in 1973, men were using their power? Like, I don't think that's changed anything. He literally shows up and he's casting her, hits on her in a bar and then rides a motorcycle and she falls off the motorcycle 
And that's it. I'm like, okay, so I don't understand the point of casting those guys in the first place. And I just found the film as a, as a entity to be a real chore. And it's frustrating because listen, we all want to support our favorites, right? Everyone knows that we like our people and you want to support your favorite athlete, your favorite actor, your favorite star. I love the films of Paul Thomas Anderson. I hope that he continues to make great, great films. But in this instance, I got to tell you, Licorice Pizza is not something that went down smooth for me. Thumbs down. I'm only giving it to me, please. You got me thinking about filmmakers who reach a certain elk. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, all the greats, Scorsese. Do they have somebody in their camp that can tell them when their movie's not good? And that is a great point. I don't think they do. Because Stevie Van Zandt said this. uh, We had him recently on the GM Shuffle, my NFL podcast with Michael Lombardi. He's got a new book out. And he said, you know, Springsteen one time said to him, like, you're critical to me. Because I need to have a guy around who will tell me when something sucks. Right? I need to have somebody who will call me on my shit when I'm like eight years old. I go, bro, this song's awesome. Like, I should have very good. Yeah. So I, I think someone in Paul Thomas Anderson's camp needed to say, like, I get what you're doing. You're making a love story set when you grow up. But let's make it an hour 40. Let's have some actual plot rather than just these scenes of two characters talking. Because for 30 minutes, kind of cool. I get it. Young love, puppy love, want something else. But after two hours, you go, what is the point of this film? It's just, it becomes a real bore. And I think you're right. You got to have those people around you. Too. It's a hard role to play. Like oh, yeah. being brutally honest with somebody who's putting all their like all their effort into this, and it's just like, hey, that thing that you've worked six months on, not that good. It's like that's a tough <laughs> thing to say. I get, I get why people. I'd rather just be a yes man. I'd rather be like this yeah. film. Oh, so good. Can we go on a vacation together? It's a good point. I mean, the yes man role is much better. Because imagine being the guy, you said six months. I mean, he hasn't made a film in four years. Let's suppose it took him six months to write the script. You're shooting it. You're going, hey, are you just, want to tighten this up a little bit? Like, what do you mean? Like, oh, nothing, nothing. I, I'm totally fine with it. I'm still on the payroll. I still right? want to be still your friend. Can we still go on this vacation <laughs> that we have planned? By the way, he's married to Maya Rudolph, Paul Thomas Anderson is, who, of course, you know from Saturday Night Live. She does have a cameo in the film, which I was happy to see. You rarely see Maya Rudolph. Uh, she's never been, I don't think, in any of P.T. Anderson's films. So I was like, oh, right away. Okay, Maya Rudolph. That's his wife. Kind of cool. Wish the film was better. By the way, Alana Haim, who plays the main role, no makeup, which I do give her credit. I thought she was she was excellent. She was probably the best part of the film. She's not an actress. She's a singer. Uh, but I thought she was very, very good. And Paul Thomas Anderson gave her credit in a New York Times article. He said, listen, it's 1973. A 25-year-old girl at that age, they're not wearing makeup. But that I give her guts for doing that because in this age, people are watching her in 70 millimeter going, hmm, bit of a rough face. So he goes, that, that is true acting. And Cooper Hoffman, instead of Philip Seymour Hoffman, I found him serviceable. All right, two more films to go. Nightmare Alley. Again, Guillermo del Toro, great director. Shape of Water, Pan's Labyrinth. Guy's awesome. Last time he made a movie, it won Best Picture, for God's sakes. So what's he do now? He's like, I'm going to make a film called Nightmare Alley. And it's a remake of a film, of a film noir that he particularly loved. I'm like, okay, interesting thought process here. The film's already been made, but it's something that you love, so you want to just go ahead and redo it. Totally cool. The storyline, for those who are unaware, an ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is. Del Toro co-wrote the screenplay. It's based on the novel by William Lindsay Gresham. Now, I am fired up to see this film. All right, I love film noir. As a matter of fact, to prove this to Chris Cody, I have my box set of film noir right now. Film noir, <laughs> classic collection, five timeless suspense thrillers. Oh, and here's my biggest problem with Nightmare Alley. It's too bloody long. All right, when you make a film noir, what is film noir, first of all? Noir is French for black, so black film. It's about men making poor moral choices. It's about someone robbing a bank. It's about someone finding some money. It's about someone double-crossing. It's always films about manipulation and lying and cheating and stealing. And always, always in a film noir, 
There's the femme fatale. That is the woman who will double-cross you. She falls in love with you and then breaks your heart. And all the femme fatales are always great. And that is the best part of Nightmare Alley. To no one's surprise, as soon as I saw Kate Blanchett was in the movie, I'm like, okay, she's going to be the femme fatale. Guaranteed, she is screwing over Bradley Cooper at some point. And she is, by the way, fantastic in the movie. Good year. Good week for Kate Blanchett. Don't look up and Nightmare do you, Alley. Do we like but, going into a movie knowing that there's going to be this type of character? That seems like an odd thing to like know that this film is going to have this kind of twist. Well, I think if you're not a hugely steeped in film noir, maybe you wouldn't know that, but I just knew. I go, and when I saw the cast list, I go, okay, Bradley Cooper, Tony Collette, you know, Ron Perlman, Richard Jenkins, Willem Dafoe, I go, okay, she's definitely the femme fatale. So most I, people I don't I, know this. This is just you being an, in an uber That's just movie me being geek. a cinephile. Go, okay, it's definitely <laughs> going to be her. And once I saw the character, I go, she is definitely screwing this guy over. Like, female psychiatrist, more, oh my God, this is going to be trouble. Are you doing this all the time in movies where you're just trying, like, you know, the like, the process of, mo- of movie making, so you're like, where's this, like, this, there's, that's a setup for this. Like, you're, I feel like you're just doing, are you, do you say this out loud to your wife, or do you just keep it internal? No, no, I keep, I keep it internal, because I don't want to ruin the experience for anybody else. And sometimes, I'll be honest, it sounds arrogant, but it's a little bit too much knowledge. I'm like, I'd, I'd rather just enjoy the film for what it was, <laughs> rather than say, okay, this is going to happen here. This is an homage Damn to this. Why do I this know so much? Here. Why do I know yeah. that that's a setup and that's going to come back later? Right. I just wish I was stupider sometimes. Um, but Nightmare Alley, we're going to get the runtime in a second here, but let me just make a point here as far as the timing, because film noir has got to be fast-paced. Okay, this is all about essential pacing. It's down and dirty. Guys making bad choices, double crosses happening, women turning on them. Crossfire. Robert Young, Robert Mitchum, Robert Ryan. When I guess the runtime, 85 minutes. Exactly. Next film up, Murder My Sweet. Dick Powell, Claire Trevor, and Shirley. Runtime, 95 minutes. By the way, all these films, of course, black and white. Gun Crazy, which is an awesome movie. If you get your hands on Gun Crazy, folks, you're going to love it. 87 minutes. How about the next film, Asphalt Jungle? Pretty famous film, Sterling Hayden. This is a little bit longer, 112 minutes. And my favorite film noir, arguably of all time, out of the past, Robert Mitchum, Jane Greer, 97 minutes. Now, Nightmare Alley, I'm going to say is at least 153 minutes. Because I sat there watching this movie and going, okay, the second act was much better than the first act. And the ending is excellent, as expected. This guy knows how to end his films. But as far as the overall length, I did not find it captivating from start to finish. And that's frustrating to me, because this is a great filmmaker with excellent actors. Bradley Cooper's performance, I thought, took a little time to get used to. But I thought his performance warmed up, as did the film. So it's a stronger second half, certainly, than the first half. But ultimately, I cannot reward the film. It's 150 minutes. Two and a half hours of film noir is just too long for my taste. As much as I love Del Toro, he's a great filmmaker. As Christy Lemire said of Film Week, the second half is much more enjoyable. By the end of it, Nightmare Alley left me cold. Said Rex Reed of Observer, it's too long, too uneven in some places, too slow in others, and too flawed to be a masterpiece. But even with the drawbacks, I could not take my eyes off the screen. I will completely admit, Del Toro is such a great filmmaker. There are some hypnotic images on the screen. I did love his style and just the look of the film, but as far as the subject matter... Didn't think it was strong enough. And last film, before we get to the old, and then we're going to get to Rick Passmore. Finally, after all this disappointment, Licorice Pizza. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Two Maple Leafs. Nightmare Alley. I love Guillermo del Toro. Two and a half Maple Leafs. Sing Two. We got a dancing gorilla. Fine. West Side Story. A remake. It is a remake. And as I tweeted last night, I'm not a musical guy per se, although this is the year of the musical. Tick, Tick, Boom, which I've talked about on Netflix, Andrew Garfield, he's going to get nominated for Best Actor. In the Heights, which is one of my favorite films here, Lin-Manuel Miranda, that was excellent, came out this summer. You got West Side Story remake, and there's another film called Cyrano starring Peter Dinklage. That's four musicals this year. The year of the musical is going to be 2021. But it's an absolutely fabulous movie, and I would say in some ways an improvement upon the original, because I think it took, at the time, and in fairness, it was 60 years ago, 1961, it took this rather rather dim view of Puerto Ricans versus whites, and now it's a lot more nuanced. For example, In the Heights took some criticism for the fact that it was 
mainly light-skinned Latinos. Well, here you have a darker-skinned Latina to tell the story of this Puerto Rican community, Ariana DeBose, who is excellent as Anita. In case you don't know the story, an adaptation of the 1957 musical West Side Story explores forbidden love and the rivalry between the Jets and the Sharks, two teenage street gangs of different ethnic backgrounds. Spielberg directed it. Tony Kushner, the great writer, was a screenwriter uh, who adapted the book by Arthur Lawrence, uh, Kushner has worked with Spielberg before. They did Munich as well. So Spielberg says, hey, let's update this movie. Let's make it a little more racially appropriate. Let's do the song and dance. Let's have some fun with it. And it is fantastic. I found it to be radiant and luscious. Special acclaim to the cinematographer, Spielberg's long-term guy, Janusz Kaminski, Leonard Bernstein, the composer, Stephen Sondheim, the lyricist, at 91 years of age, passed away in December, right before the film opened, December 10th. But I'm sure Spielberg showed him a cut, so at least he got to see what the film was all about. Special mention of Rita Moreno, who's 89 years old. She's an EGOT. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Award winner. And why do me and Chris Coy love her? Because she was awesome in the show Oz, which Tom Fontana approached her to do. And she said, okay, if he's offering me a role, I'm probably going to play the warden. He goes, no, no, you're playing a nun. And she goes, I don't want to play a nun. He goes, no, no, you're playing a nun who doesn't cover her head and is going to fall in love with Chris Maloney. She goes, I'm in. Uh, she's great in the film. <laughs> By the way, this is a new role created specifically for Rita Moreno. She won the Best Supporting Actress Academy Award back in 1961 for playing Anita, which gets us to the best performance of the movie and one of the best performances of the year. Rachel Zegler, who is 20 years of age, she plays Maria, and she is absolutely fabulous. Ansel Elgort is the male lead. He's very good. Sometimes people ask me, who would play Roger Federer in a movie? I said, you know what? Ansel Elgort, I think, could do it. Although my wife kept saying, looked a lot like a young Brando. When you're watching the film, you're thinking of Guys and Dolls or Streetcar Named Desire. Anyways, Ansel Elgort does a very good job. There's a scene in particular that is absolute movie magic. It's where they do a duet together, and it's... Um, on the steps outside their tenement building. And he starts singing, and you're like, oh, wow, it's a really beautiful song. It's really passionate. And she starts singing, and she just blows the doors off him. It's like, like a classic, like Christina Aguilera, Mariah Carey. Like, you can hear like a five-octave range. You go, oh, my God, this woman can sing. Like, she's clearly a singer, and now she's an actress. This guy's an actor who's a decent singer. Yeah. It's kind of like when you watch La La Land. You go, okay, Emma Stone won the Academy Award, and Ryan Gosling's a great dude, but Emma Stone's winning the Academy Award. That sequence in particular, when they're outside singing, I believe the song is called Moonlight, is absolute perfection. And I really strongly recommend the film. I'm giving it four Maple Leafs. Uh, the key here with Spielberg and his directorial input is this. It's not too much cutting. And there's not too much editing. I'll explain why that's important. Barry Sonnenfeld is a great director. Uh, he's been on Cinephile before. He was recently on Spartless, which I know you all love. My man Will Arnett, Bateman, and Sean Hayes. And Sonnenfeld said he goes, the, the enemy of... of Comedy is too much cutting. He goes, I love master shots and two shots. No close-ups. Close-up was the worst. And he goes, I once had to fire Tom Sizemore because he kept trying to be funny. And I said, listen, I'm going to have to fire you. And he said, why? I go, because the comedy is in not trying to be funny. The comedy is just playing the role in the part. And then we work with it. And I'm not going to, I don't like making the comedy in the editing room because I'm going to cut on this line, cut on this line. So specifically to musicals, if there's too much cutting, if you're cutting to a close-up of the feet moving and a close-up of the hands moving, and also there's songs, well, it doesn't work. The whole point is keep it in the master shot, which Spielberg understands. There's 30 people on a soundstage pretending to be in New York City, and they're all dancing and choreographing in similar motion. Watch that. And that was so smart as a director, he understood. I got this big crane shot here of 20 people singing, I want to live in America. Okay, let them go. And not too much cutting, just masters and two shots and build up the emotion. And he's got the advantage of a really good cast, obviously amazing singers, a diverse cast, and the fact you have this very strong Puerto Rican cast there. But I also have someone that's very passionate. And I tell you, as a director, something that's very underrated about great directors is shot composition. The final shot of West Side Story, I said, man, Spielberg, this guy's a 
Two-time Academy Award winner, obviously for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. Might even win a third Academy Award for Best Director, although I think right now it's leaning Kenneth Branagh. Maybe Jane Campion, Power of the Dog. Regardless, though, that final last shot, the shot of a master. The film was supposed to come out a year ago, by the way. It got delayed because of COVID. It did not do well in theaters. It opened at 10.6 million. Everyone goes, oh my God, what happened? It's this damn COVID. I'll explain it a little bit. The people who are seeing movies right now, much like Chris Cody, young white males. So people who are like, it's not necessarily that they're not taking COVID seriously, but they're more willing to go see a film right now, wear a mask or do whatever. The people who are most skittish right now by, this is evidence of people not going to the movies, are older females. West Side Story is a remake of a film that came out 60 years ago. So the audience you're going towards is older females or young females. Millennials will go, oh, my grandmother always, always tell me about West Side Story. And add, yes, it's me. It's, it's older females who are being targeted towards and the people like me who love Steven Spielberg. Um, so I think that's what ended up happening here. That just because the film did not do well box office, that doesn't mean it's a disappointment. It just means that, unfortunately, COVID has impacted it. And Spielberg, like Christopher Nolan, like Scorsese, believes in the theatrical experience. But he knows that in the past you opened a movie and then 90 days later it came out on streaming. Now it's like 45 days. Like now, as I mentioned, don't look up. All of you listening have seen it already because, oh, it's on Netflix. Whereas West Side Story, maybe a third of you listening have seen it. You actually went to the theater to watch it. It still must be experienced in a theater, but I recognize just because it was a box office failure does not mean the film is a failure at all. In fact, I think it's a brilliant film and one of the best movies of the year. So to recap, Licorice Pizza, Two Maple Leafs, Nightmare Alley, Two and a Half Maple Leafs, Don't Look Up, Two Maple Leafs, Sing Two, Two and a Half, and finally, a great film. Five new movies. We're banging out here in Cinephile. West Side Story, Four Maple Leafs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, time now for the old, and no old movies this week, because I had to watch five new movies. And I'll be honest, next week I don't know how many more old movies. I, I guess see a lot of new movies. There's, there's stuff all over the place, okay? I'm just watching stuff left and right here. But, hey, rest in peace, Betty White. 99 years of age. I mean, what a run. Now, Max Bredos texted me, and he goes, everyone is in mourning right now. I said, yeah, it's Betty White. He goes, at 99, wouldn't you want to go? Which raises the larger question. Chris Cody, if I could tell you right now, you know when you're going to die, would you want to know the answer? Whew. I need to know what the answer is before I answer this question. Like, I, if you if it's five years from now, I don't want to know. If I'm you gonna, don't, if, if I said, it says you're going to die at 38 years if, old. If, like, holy Jesus. If I'm going to live to 94, I want to know. Hmm. 
I'm with you. I, I think I'd like to know either way. Like, I'm not going to hedge. If you just, I, if someone said, I will tell you, I'm like, okay, I want to know. They go 49. I go, holy shit. Go, what happens? Go, I can't say how you die, but 49. That's it. Like, okay, I'm going to go balls to the wall for the next six but years. Like, you, I'm just going to do every drug possible. That'd be weird. You just, would you quit? I would do every drug job, possible. Right? I would quit my job. I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. You think I care about the Indians and the Tigers in April? Like, no, I'm, I'm just You would probably still it. do this. You'd yeah. probably only keep the cinephile pod. <laughs> I would just do cinephile. I wouldn't do anything else, and I would just do a lot of drugs, and I would just be like, I got six years left anyway. Honestly, we'd get some good guests. If it was like Adnan, <laughs> like this guy's got six years He's left. He's got six would, years left. Would you live. like to come on his podcast? I feel like Tom Hanks is like, you know what? I will go on that podcast. Um, I don't know how we did this, but we have Meryl Streep on today. She feels sorry for me. I'm going to die. Here she is. Meryl, how are you? Nice to see you. You haven't died yet. You look great. Thanks. Okay, how you been? We might need to get that rumor out there just to see if yeah, it improves yeah. our guest. <laughs> Please, we need to hit this podcast. You suffered from a life-threatening illness, and I have some serious health issues coming up on the horizon. Don't know when, but could be sooner than I think. <laughs> Joking about when you're going to die. Listen, Betty White, hot in Cleveland, great title. Golden Girls, absolutely iconic. And you see her everywhere, right? You see her on roasts and stuff. You see her on these comedy specials. Very funny, very self-aware, sharp tongue. Not dirty. Like, I don't think she's like Lisa Lampanelli, but sharp, aware of what's happening, and clearly beloved. 99, man. It's, it's like uh, when uh, George Burns died. I mean, that's a comedy icon. Weeks before she was turning 100. I think in mid-January she was going to turn So this 100. raises a larger issue. Is it, is it at all sad she didn't get to 100? I think in her head she's like, you know what? It's been a good run. No, it's a good run. I mean, I'm interested. Is she only a TV star? Did she have any good movies? Definitely no with the small screen. I'm sure she did some films over the years, but her notoriety certainly was on the small yeah. screen. But I'm sure, like, you know, this happens, right? People pass away. It's sad, but they go, hey, let me look up all their best stuff. So I think people will start to yeah. kind of look back at the best of Betty White. I got to tell you, on a football note, I mean, the John Madden stuff has been incredible. I mean, like, just yeah. re-watching all the clips, just sitting at him and Summer all together, like, you know, you and I obviously love John Madden if you're a football fan. But yeah. when you see how good he was, you appreciate it even more. So It was weird uh, watching that documentary and seeing him, like, he literally was like, hey, this doc is going to be after you yeah. die. You can just listen. It's, it's, people don't generally yeah. get to hear their funeral. He got to sit there and why it was there. Was, it was like part of me that was like feeling a little awkward about it. But part of me was yeah. like, this is really cool for him. No, you're right. Normally you just see the documentary, but he was, for those who are not seeing it, John Madden, this documentary on Fox, he's watching people speaking to him. So Bill Belichick or Andy Reid is saying, hey, I love you, coach. I want to tell you thanks for everything. And at the end, they ask him, like, what's the take when he's like, well, I and he, he's definitely aged, and now, of course, he's gone. But he was just like, oh, I, I guess I just, I never realized all that until I heard it. So yeah. to your point, we should do this. Albert Brooks was right. Kirby enthusiasm, living funerals. That way, tell people what you think of them before they die. Because once they die, it's worthless anyways. Yeah. Betty White, rest in peace. It is a real pleasure to bring in alumni here on Cinephile, my man, Rick Passmore. I tried to get Ricky on the podcast back in November. He was very busy there with his duties at ESPN, where he's an editor. He is also a cameraman. That's where I used to always see him on, on Baseball Tonight. But the reason why I want to have him here on Cinephile is not just to chop it up in movies and catch up on old stories, maybe some ESPN gossip, but because he's also a filmmaker himself. And when we were at ESPN together, he said, listen, I can't talk about it here. I can't promote my stuff. He's very, uh, he has a lot of integrity, Passport does. But now we can do that. So I wanted to see him just to catch up. We'll talk a little Cleveland sports. He's probably pissed about the Browns. But we also want to talk some movies. And I also want to talk about his filmmaking, the fact he's a noted puppeteer, which Cody is going to love. Without further ado, Rick Passmore. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. I, and yeah, now that you're with Metal Arc and I'm officially off the clock and not uh, doing any ESPN duties, I can talk about my work with Elmwood Productions. 
It was amazing. One of the first times we met. So, I, like I said, we'd see each other. You were in the studio, always very friendly. We would chat it mm-hmm. up, talk Indians, whatever. I believe it was at the picnic yes. that you said to me, hey, listen, um, I'm actually a filmmaker. I'd like to get involved with Cinephile. I'm like, yeah, no problem. I go, listen, I can't pay any money. You go, no problem. I go, like, I'm doing it for free. Stands. You go, dude, I don't care. I will come and I'll set up lights and like we'll edit videos. <laughs> we'll tweet them out for you. I go, bro, this is very, very generous of you. Like, I just want to be involved. And I go, by the way, I'm also a filmmaker. I made a film called Head. I'm like, okay. And you go, I, I, I know your style. You're like into, you know, your Academy Award movies and stuff. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, but it's about puppets and it's a horror movie. And I go, dude, I'll watch it for sure. Chris, I, I want you, I don't want to say any more about Head, <laughs> except to say that it is very unique. And as I said to, to Ricky, I go, listen, this is not my flow, but I did love it because it is unique and inventive. And I think Chris Green needs to see this film. Are you interested in puppets? I'm way more intrigued by that than Sing 2. We did that a few minutes ago. I want some head in my life. Wait, what? Well, every, everybody, uh, well, I can't say everyone. We're, we're sitting at like a 4.9 on IMDb at the point, but that's fine. That that's It comes with the territory when you make something as quirky and unique as, as we did with head. I mean, we did a Kickstarter for it and, and raised about three grand. And a lot of that just went into feeding the crew and like, Nobody got paid. It was all like passion project, labor of love, uh, feeding the crew, paying, making the Kickstarter uh, donation gifts and everything like that. And, you know, we, uh, my buddy, Chris Jarowski, who I went to school with at University of Toledo, he was dabbling in, in producing independent films and stuff like that and said, I can't give you any money, but I can help you spread the Kickstarter and maybe like do a couple things there. And he did. And so we gave him, you know, he got an executive producer credit and then he starts submitting the film once we're done. We're like, okay, that was fun. Let's move on. He starts submitting it to all these festivals all over the place. Next thing you know, I'm getting notifications saying, Hey, you, you, you're an official, you know, selection in this festival. You're the official selection in yellow fever film festival out in Ireland. You're your Hong Kong underground film festival, digital selection. You're, I can't even remember all of them that we got into. And we won a handful of awards for different reasons. And it just kind of like blew up in a, in a way where people were finally seeing it. And we signed a deal with terror films to do a digital distribution back in 2018. So they, they're covering all of our digital stuff for us. So for a time it was on Amazon prime. Uh, it's no longer on Prime for free. I believe you can still buy it, but uh, the best place to watch it is Tubi.tv, which has a ton of awesome, like, just you want to talk about a library of great old TV, great like '80s syndicated TV, and just schlocky, random, low-budget films. Tubi's amazing, and they got good stuff too. They got some decent stuff as well. But I mean, if you want to watch Head, Tubi.tv, just search Head. So should be one of the first things that pops up because there are a whole bunch of other things. Some other stuff probably pops up too, yeah. Uh, not with Tubi, uh, but just make sure you're searching. If you want to narrow down, head Elmwood Productions and, and keep and keep safe search on. I'm so immature. I'm hey, sorry, don't worry. Guys. We're the ones that wrote. We're the ones that wrote and shot this movie and decided to keep calling it Head, even though yeah. that was just the working title. So. Correct. Those guys knew what they were doing. Let's be clear. There's <laughs> a total name Head. But here's the question everyone wants to know, Ricky: How do you become a puppeteer? Like at what point in your life you're growing up in Ohio, you know what? Honestly, I freak, I just love puppets. I gotta get into this. So the, it it wasn't really like I wanted to do it. It was more when I first moved to Connecticut, I was out at a bar and there were these guys, uh, Mike and Nick were at the bar, Mike Finlan and Nick Foreman, who are in head. They had these, I mean, I think they were official uh Henson style puppets. They were just dicking around with them. Right. And I, I had a few drinks and I'm like, what's the deal? 
and like this is what we do and i'm like oh well i i like to i went to film school and i work at espn all this stuff that seems cool and they're like all right uh well we hang out on wednesdays uh why don't you come on by and that was pretty much it and for the last almost over almost nine years now i've been doing stuff with elma productions (laughs) makes me think of as you know charlie coffin's great film uh, being John Malcolm, mm-hmm. John Cusack plays a very lonely puppeteer. That, that's what I well, he does. He does more of the yeah. the ventriloquist style. He's the marionette right, yeah, marionette style. So it's a little <laughs> bit. I mean, this one you don't have to worry about any strings. Um, you know, for the visual cues for the people that uh, can't see the zoom. I'm putting on yeah. the puppet of myself, which <laughs> I'm currently in a suit. I don't normally wear the suit, but I'm in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> Love the glasses. Yeah, this is tea, this is beard. the this is the caricature of my producer persona called uh, Blue Suit Ricky. I love the entire. I just was. I, me and Cody got to get puppets now. We got to talk to metal. Can you do the thing right where you're talking and not where you're looking? No, that's ventriloquism. I'm. I'm not yeah. there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> See, I'm normally. I, I would be I'm under. I'm an idiot. I thought that was the same shit. <laughs> no, because normally we're under. We're underneath the camera. We're under oh, the puppets, right. and we got a mic okay. going. So yeah, and you, then we you got would monitor. not be seeing Passport when he's doing it. He's no. just holding the If you're seeing up. me when I'm doing it, it's either on purpose or completely by accident. Two birds with one stone. You could if you do the ventriloquism thing. So right that's the worst ventriloquism I've ever seen. <laughs> Cody's just you can't do that. Yeah, not one my mouth at all. Okay. all right, I'll leave that for segue. Jeff Dunham. All right, let's segue to Nicolas Cage. You're wearing a Cage Fighter shirt. Yes. You're, you're about as big a Nicolas Cage fan as I know. When I saw Pig came out, mm-hmm. which I thought was excellent, I'm like, okay, I thought it was really good. It was a return to you know his more subdued, uh, grounded, naturalistic performances. I said, the critics will like this a lot. It's good to see him doing that. And you and I both appreciate those films, Nicolas Cage, of course, yeah. Leaving Las Vegas, Red Rock West. But you also love a Nick Cage full-bore performance, whether it's Face Off, whether it's Con Air, or whether it's a film you and I both talked about and really enjoyed, Mandy. Give me every dial of Nick Cage. Give give me Nick Cage at two in a nice, soft, like, pig performance where he you're dialed in and you know exactly what you want. But yeah, then give me Mandy. Give me um, Willie's Wonderland where he doesn't say a word. He just fights off uh, possessed animatronics for nine and it's 90 minutes that's the other thing i appreciate 90 minutes of willie's wonderland right to the point anybody else in that movie it's it's just a typical b movie nick cage he just knows how to hit those cues he knows how to deliver the looks he knows what to do and he's doesn't say a damn word not a single line of actual dialogue just more guttural screams and yells while he's fighting the these animatronics and then he goes back and just chugs soda and plays pinball during the during the asides and it's amazing but here's the synopsis cody when his car breaks down a quiet loner agrees to clean an abandoned family fun center in exchange for repairs he soon (laughs) finds himself waging war against possessed animatronic mascots while trapped inside willie's wonderland 62 percent rotten tomatoes it's not for everyone and i believe it's still on hulu so absolutely check that out if, if you can last one will get you out of here Nicholas Cage playing Dracula. Like I saw the tweets right away from you. I'm like, I, I could. You and Mike Ryan were like holding. A, it was like it was partying like it's 1999. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> like give like give me like the children of the night. Oh, what songs they sing? You know, give me, give me, give me him. Actually, here's what we'll do. Let's let's retool Francis Ford Coppola's Dra- Bram Stoker's Dracula, and as great of a performance as Gary Oldman gave as as Dracula. Just do one of those one-to-one like shot replacements, like re- replace the actor, like they did with the uh, All Money in the World. Right, Christopher Plummer, Plummer replacing Spacey. Yeah. Do do that and just put Cage in there, and let let me just watch that movie. 
Nicholas Cage makes everything better. I'm so does Rick Passmore. Our <laughs> Passmore 87, Elmwood Films. Check yeah. out Head and Bernice too. Is yeah. that the new Elmwood, film you said? Elmwoodproductions.com, yeah. uh, Elmwood Prod on all social media. Bernice too. Uh, it's coming out. Our premiere is February 18th at the historic Warner Theater in Torrington, Connecticut. Uh, after that, we will have uh, DVDs for sale and it'll be streaming somewhere. We haven't figured it out yet, but uh, digitals will be available. DVDs will be available on m1productions.com. And if you're in the Connecticut area or, you know, Southern Mass, uh, Eastern New York and want to make the trek out to Torrington in February, warnertheater.com, February 18th. I love it. Rick Passmore, my guy. And very, very generous. You'll send me stuff all the time. I was talking to Rasilla about Fargo, and then Ricky sends me the book, A Lot Can Happen in the Middle of Nowhere, which is, of course, a story of the making of Fargo, which was great. You also sent me, you do this, I would do this back in the day. I would go buy a bunch of DVDs and go, okay, well, he'd like this or she'd like this. So you sent me Loveless, which is a tremendous Russian film. It's incredibly dour and depressing. But as soon as I got it, I go, I, I'm grateful not only that you sent it to me, but that you're like, oh, Adnan would like this movie. Yeah, that, that's one of, that's the thing, though. That was your DVD. That was your Blu ray. You let me buy borrow that really yes that okay, was your blu-ray thought you purchased it for me, but I actually lent it to you. <laughs> he's, just, he's just returning something still very generous of you but i but i was yeah. sitting on it, i'm like i'm like I just, I just never got around to watching it and i i usually watch stuff that you send me and it's just like that was the one yeah. like russian divorce film child in the center of it i've just and, and then the pandemic happened and i'm like you know what i need to watch ted lasso i need to watch Shit's creek i need to watch stuff right. that's going to lift me up I don't need to watch a dour divorce films with Russian subtitles. Uh, why is this still here? It's like, oh, this was Adnan's. Let me just send that back to him. I think I threw something else in there for you. I was like, yeah, like, you did throw in a Godfather picture. Godfather, yeah, I found here. that just, a, yeah, a, a, a nice saver is fine. I'm like, yep, yeah. Adnan is just sitting yeah. there for I don't know how like like two dollars in the frame. So I'm like, Adnan <laughs> needs that in his oh, office, dude. I loved it. Oh. It was awesome. The great Rick Passmore. Great to catch up. Always the best. Your Cleveland sports team. Indians no longer. Give me the Guardians now moving forward. Cool Browns, brutal. Baker Mayfield, brutal. You guys getting well, rid of Baker? What do you think? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I'm, I've actually, Adnan's kind of funny. Like, I, he, he got to know me right in the middle of my um, Browns boycott era. Yeah. Uh, the the post Manziel draft era. I was like, I'm not watching them anymore because they changed the uniforms <laughs> to those terrible high school uniforms. And I'm like, it's a money grab. I can't do it anymore. So it doesn't affect me like it used to. But I love the fact on Twitter you become very savage politically. Yeah. Like I always feel like like I feel like politically you're kind of like yeah, in the middle like most people. Like you know you grew up in Ohio, so maybe you lean a little right. Maybe you're a young guy, you're in film, maybe you lean a little left. Now you'll just you'll annihilate like Stephen Mnuchin on Twitter. I just I I just hit <laughs> likes and retweets for the most part. I I tend to keep my own personal voice out of it. But I mean, there's obvious right. things that I believe uh, at this point now in, in this uh, world of 2022. And I just kind of amplify certain things and, and try to try to set my compass accordingly. On that note, one goal. Can we get a puppet of Steve Bannon? Can we get a Steve oh, Bannon God. puppet? At some I don't point? I don't think we can do cirrhosis and felt. <laughs> I don't know how that would work out, but um, he, he, he's def he would definitely be he would definitely be uh, neighbors. Uh, to Oscar the Grouch for sure. He would definitely be living in a trash can right next to Amen. Oscar. Elmwoodproductions.com. Bernice 2, February 18th in Torrington, Connecticut. R Passport 87. You follow him on Twitter. He's great on Instagram. He's a great friend. Thanks so much, Ricky. Good to see you again. Thanks, Anna. Appreciate it, buddy. 
thanks so much for checking out Cinephile. I did want to mention, by the way, one other thought on West Side Story. Analyze that, which isn't nearly as good as Analyze This. Early on, they feel that Paul Vitti, Robert De Niro's character, has lost his mind. And so he's singing in a mental institution, I'm so pretty, I feel so pretty. Did not realize that is actually from West Side Story. That is one of the songs that when I was watching, I'm like, oh my God, that's the song De Niro sings in Analyze That. But the one that I love is, I want to live in America. Like, that song's a great song. Go I, ahead. I feel like that's also in Anger Management with Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I feel pretty, oh so pretty. <laughs> Look at us, harmonizing. Good. Listen, we always find a, a comedic angle to it. So anger management, analyze. If you're thinking, you know what, I don't want to watch West Side Story. I don't like musicals. No problem. Go watch Anger Management and go watch Analyze That. That'll put you in a good mood. Uh, Thanks as always for checking out Cinephile. Thanks to my buddy Rick Passmore. We'll be back next week. Lots more reviews. Until then, I'll see you at the movies.